And uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 today, uh, verses 1 and 2. And then also 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. Now, the word on the street in OKC is that uh, this service is the loudest and the most responsive service. You don't got to pump y'all up that you get back with me and say amen. That's, that's the word. Speaking that by faith, we go. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at what the word of God says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let's just pause right there. What an awesome thought to consider that God has set a race before each and every one of us and we have been called before the foundation of the earth to run that race. How do we run that race? He says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Can you say amen? amen? Real quick, just to add an addendum to this, let's look at 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. It says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it and did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. I don't really know what a lute is. I'm assuming it's a flute without the F, but that's what they had. <laughs> says, in playful frolic, come on, this is a party. People are frolicking. The women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. This made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, who? They credit David, they credit David with ten thousands, but me with only thousands. Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. That moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. Now, real quick, I want you to see these two verses in parallel. Because the writer of Hebrews, he tells us we're to run the race Christ has set before us, and we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. But now here we have Saul, who does not have his eyes on his race. He doesn't have his eye on Jesus. He kept his eye on David after these women compared him to David. I want to preach this morning for about five hours, <laughs> using as a subject, hear me, on their mark. On their mark. I realize when you're running a race, the announcer says, on your mark. But I'm finding out many people cannot run the race Christ has set before them because they keep looking at the other people in the lanes that are beside them. So instead of being on your mark, you're on their mark. Ooh, this is going to be good in here today. Come on, let's pray before we go on to this word. Father, I thank you for the power that's in your word. God, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. Holy Spirit, saturate this place from center to circumference. We've not gathered here to perform a religious routine. God, we've not come here to be entertained. God, we've come to be drastically changed. Have your way in this place today. And somebody loves Jesus, say amen. amen. 
Say amen again. Amen. Before we jump into this uh, quick sermonic survey, how many of you, by showing of hands, you like to work out? You like to work out. You enjoy exercise. Can I see your hand? A lot of hands up into here today. Okay, awesome. How many of you do not like to work out? You do not enjoy exercise. Can I see your hand? Come on, don't lie in church. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, th those of you who lifted up your hand the first time, the first time saying you like to work out, you enjoy exercise, uh, you are dismissed from the service, okay? You can leave, all right? As a matter of fact, run home. Uh, <laughs> the reason I say that is because I want to speak to the people in the second group that I found some commonality and some camaraderie with, because that's me. I do not like to work out. I don't enjoy exercise. I lift up my hand and both feet, people. There is nothing on the inside of me that gets pleasure out of exercise. As a matter of fact, I hide out from all gyms all the time. So much so that sometimes my gym will call me and they'll say, Mr. Madu, we have not seen you in a while. I said, look, I'm in the fitness protection program. I can't be in this gym. Ain't nobody got time for that. I hate working out. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to exercise was as a result of the fall of man. Oh yes, people, th there were no gyms in Genesis. Uh, there were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden. God in his infinite wisdom and genius created us as perfectly perfect beings. That means Adam had biceps, he had triceps, he had a six pack. Ladies, Eve had 0% body fat. You say, how do you know that, Robert? What's your scripture? Oh, I'll give you scripture. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. Come on, somebody. You only walk around naked if you got it going on. Just keeping it 100. Um, I don't like to work out. I don't, but, but I do work out. I do work out, and I do what I hate because of what I love, which is to eat. I, I love to eat. And, and believe it or not, I actually like to lift weights. There's something manly about putting on Old Spice and throwing up some iron. I like to lift uh, but lifting does not burn the calories. You, you have to run. And that's what I don't like to do. I despise running. People, I cannot articulate to you how much I do not like to run. I hate that run rhymes with fun because there is nothing fun about running. It's demonic. I hate it. I don't like to run. As a matter of fact, when I do run, I convince myself I have asthma so I can stop running. So... So I need a whole lot of motivation for me to get on the treadmill. A whole lot of motivation. I mean, I need a Just Do It t-shirt. I need the Lance Armstrong bracelet. I need motivational music. I got the eye of the tiger. I need all that. That's just to get on the treadmill. And then once I get on, you know, I'll start and I'll have a good little pace for a while. I'm like, oh, that's not that bad, man. I've been running for like 30 minutes. And then I look down, three minutes. My asthma, I can't do this. I'm going to die. Don't like it, but, but I do have... I do have one move, one secret move that I'm giving to People's Church today. I have a secret move, and this is my last resort for motivation to keep running. After this, I have nothing else left. This is my last moment move. I'll be running on the treadmill, and then all of a sudden, I will just look to the right, and then I'll look to the left. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody else on the treadmill, somebody, anybody, much older than me body. And once I find that person, I will lock my eye in on that person. And once I found that random person, I will say something, not out loud, but in my mind, real loud, in my mind, I'll say, Psh, you don't want none. Now, 
Let me explain what just happened when I said you don't want none. When I said you don't want none, unbeknown to that person, we just entered into a race. Unbeknown to that person, this workout just got real. This entire gym just turned into the 2013 Olympics and the first person to get off the treadmill is getting the silver and the one who stays on the longest is getting the gold and all I do is gold medals. We just entered into a race. Wish I was lying, but this is a true story. And it really helps when the person is right next to you because then you can actually look at their screen on the treadmill. So I'll be there and I'll be looking at them. If they're on level six, I'm on level six. Point one. If they speed up, I'm going to speed up. If they are going incline, I'm going on incline. If they stop and take a break, I'm going to stop and take a break. Oh no, I'm not going to keep running while they stop and take a break. That's cheating. You can't cheat in the Olympics. You can get deported for that, people. Whatever they do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm telling you. And then I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it. And as soon as they get off the treadmill and they push stop, I will speed up my treadmill to the fastest level because you got to sprint to the finish line. And then once I finish, I will push stop, grab my towel, and say, I got the gold, and shout in victory. Now, um, it's just true. I, I beat this dude last week. Two weeks ago, I beat this dude real bad. And I saw him in the parking lot afterwards. And I was like, hey, how are you? He said, I'm good. How are you? I said, man, I'm good. As a matter of fact, I'm golden, loser. It was awesome. <laughs> now, now, you laugh. You laugh, which is cool. Because you know, uh, it's comical. It's funny. When you're talking about comparing yourself to somebody in the gym. How many of you know it's not so funny when you're talking about comparing yourself to somebody in life? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid today's message mandates that you introspectively ask the critical question, who are you racing? Who are you racing? I'm just wondering, who have you set your eye on and whatever they do, that's what you do. If they speed up, you feel like you have to speed up. If they go on an incline, you go on an incline and you are taking your cues from somebody else instead of running the race that God has set before you before the foundation of the earth and running the race according to your pace. I am convinced that this is the greatest tragedy of life is when you start to compare yourself to other people. It's scary when you start getting on the treadmill of comparison. I don't know whether you know this about treadmills or not. Uh, you do a lot of movement. You exert a lot of energy, a lot of breathing, <gasps> a lot of sweat. But you're not going anywhere. You're in the exact same place you were when you started. What a perfect metaphor for the comparison game. Because there are no winners in the comparison game. All you end up doing is exerting a lot of physical, emotional, and mental energy, trying to keep up and compare yourself with somebody else, only to find out I'm in the exact same place I was when I started. I'm afraid I have so much material on this message today. I'm actually taking some cues from a mentor of mine who said, Robert, if you ever uh, want to have a lot of sermon material, just preach from your weakness. And I'm preaching from my weakness uh, today. And uh, if nobody else buys this uh, a DVD, uh, save me a copy. I'll watch it later. Because I'm finding in my own life, as I'm running the race God has set before me, I keep looking at other people in the lanes beside me. I believe this is one of the enemy's number one weapons of mass distraction, which is to get you to look at somebody else and compare yourself to somebody else. It's his number one weapon of mass distraction. And of course it would be his weapon because that's what got him kicked out of heaven. 
comparison. Rather than being a conduit and expression of God's glory, he started comparing himself to God's glory and said, I will raise myself above the throne of God. And that's what got him kicked off the praise and worship team. It started with him comparing himself to God. And now his job is to kill, steal, and destroy from every single one of us. And that's exactly what comparison does. It will kill your joy. It will destroy your peace. It will steal everything from your life. As a matter of fact, comparison is the cancer to contentment. You cannot be content when you are comparing yourself to somebody else. You know, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. It is great gain. You cannot be content when you are comparing yourself to somebody else. I love the Apostle Paul because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, as he's bringing order to the church in Corinth, uh, he begins to tell them that to compare yourself to somebody else is actually the opposite of wisdom. Comparing is antithetical to wisdom. Look at what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says, you are stupid, you are dumb, you are ignorant if you are comparing your life to somebody else's. And do you know why it's ignorant? It's ignorant because comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. That was so good, I'm going to rewind it and say it again. <laughs> Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. If you ever want to be confused about what God's called you to do, then just start comparing yourself to what somebody else has been called to do. What an awesome God that we serve that he would put us on planet earth with a purpose. That you're not just here just taking up space, but there is a call on your life. A call that is so specific. A call that is so idiosyncratic that only you can do the thing that God has called you to do. Your mother can't do it. Your father can't do it, your brother can't do it, your sister can't do it. There has been a specific assignment that is placed on your life and you should just check your pulse, check it. If you have a pulse, it's proof positive God is not through with you yet. There is a call that has been placed on your life. Furthermore, I love that God has given us everything we need to accomplish that call. What a liberating thing to know that everything I need to do what God has called me to do, he's already given it to me. Everything you need God to do, to do what God has called you to do, he's already given it to you. That lets me know that God is also just. Because it would be unjust for God to put an assignment on my life and then not give me the tools I need to accomplish it. But I love that God has already put everything I need on the inside of me to do what I've been called to do. Everything you need is already in you. If you were supposed to be taller, he would have made you taller. If you were supposed to be cuter, he would have made you cuter. If you were supposed to be shorter, he would have made you shorter. If you were supposed to be black, he would have made you black. If you were supposed to be white, he would have made you white. If you are supposed to be Latino, buenos dias. He would have made you Latino. Everything you need is already in you. Stop complaining to the master about the pieces you didn't get and start praising him that you're a masterpiece. Come on, somebody. You are one of a kind, carefully created, meticulously made by a God that loves you. You are one of a kind. Be you. Come on, somebody just say, I'm a masterpiece. Oh, come on, say it like you believe it. Say, I'm a masterpiece. I'm telling you, you ought to go to work or school or wherever tomorrow with some velvet rope and just put it around you. And when people look at you like, what is that? Oh, you didn't know? I'm a masterpiece. I've been carefully created by the greatest artist. Picasso ain't got nothing on the God that I serve. I am a, I feel like preaching. I'm a masterpiece. 
Whether you realize it or not, that's not uh, feel-good phraseology. That's not just cute self-help talk. It's actually scripture. It's actually scripture. I can prove you're a masterpiece. Look at what Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 10 says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The good things he planned. He planned. Our God is strategic. He plans. He plans. I love that word plan because that word in its original language actually has imagery behind it. And it speaks to whenever a king would send his servant ahead of him. And the servant's job was to prepare the path of the king so the king could get to his destination safely. Hear me. The servant's job was to prepare the path of the king so the king could get to his destination safely. But do you see what Paul's doing in the text there? He's actually reversing it. He's flipping the script. He said, this is not about the servant going before the king and preparing the path of the king. This is about the king of kings who has gone before his servants and has prepared the path for each and every one of us. And he will make sure that you get to your destination safely. Come on, that's why that car wreck couldn't kill you. That's why that disease could not destroy you. That's why those haters couldn't stop you because God has gone before you and he has strategically planned the path that you are to go for. I, I love when the, when, the, when, the, when the announcer says get on your mark because that means each runner has to get set and get in their lane. That there is a lane. What an awesome thing to know. There is a lane that I have to run in. There is a lane that you have to run in. You know lanes are marked by two lines. One line here and one line here. And I can run as fast and as slow as I want as long as I stay in my lane. Look at somebody say, stay in your lane. Oh, come on. They didn't get it. They're still waking up. Come on, say, stay in your lane. The lane is marked by two lines. Two lines mark the lane. Interestingly enough, you have two destinies. Each and every person in this room, you have two destinies. One destiny is universal. It's universal for every believer. And that destiny is to become more and more like Jesus every single day. That destiny is universal for every believer every day to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you're sitting here today going, what am I supposed to do with my life? I'll tell you. You're supposed to become more and more like Jesus every single day. Think like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. Show grace like Jesus. One line, I'm supposed to become more and more like Jesus. The other destiny is not universal. It's unique. And that is, I'm to be unlike anybody God has ever created. Because when God made you, he broke the mold. So on one hand, I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus. And on the other hand, I'm trying to be unlike any person God has ever created. Because there's been a specific destiny placed on my life. And those are the two lines that I run within. Is this blessing anybody? Because I'm going to watch it later. It's blessing me. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot say, I'm just anything. Once you've given your life to Christ, you have to get just out of your vernacular. You're not just anything. You're not just a school teacher. You're God's representative in that classroom so the classroom can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus teaches a class. You're not just anything. You're not just a hairstylist. You're God's representative in that hair salon so the hair salon can see what does Jesus look like when he puts weave in somebody else's hair. You are God's representative in whatever sphere you are. You're not just a barista at Starbucks. You're God's representative at Starbucks so Starbucks can see what does Jesus look like when he serves a triple grande mocha frappuccino you are God's representative in the earth realm oh I feel like preaching and you gotta stay in your lane the challenge is to keep running my race 
to not look at anybody else in the lanes beside me. You ever been in the highway, and isn't it funny when you're in traffic, the lanes beside you always seem like they're going faster than the one you're in. And you almost get in a wreck trying to get in some... Come on, somebody. Somebody else's lane. The challenge is just stay in my lane and not look to the right, not look to the left. Look, I don't care how good of a runner you are. If you're running like this, let me prophesy something to you. <laughs> there is a crash in your imminent future, okay? I don't care how good of a runner you are. You can be as fast as Usain Bolt. If you're running like this, a crash is bound to happen. And no wonder Saul crashed. Because all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and fixes his eyes on David. Make no doubt about it. There was a season in Saul's life where he was on his mark and he was running his race. Please understand, Saul was the first king of Israel. The Bible said he stood a head and shoulders above every single person. He looked like a king. He talked like a king. As a matter of fact, the Bible said he was good looking. Come on, when the Bible says you're good looking, you know you look good. Can't nobody tell you you're ugly. You say, look, read the word. Read the word. You already know. <laughs> Saul looked good. Walked like a king. God anointed him and appointed him to be king. He was blessed to be the king. But I found out you got to be careful with the blessing of God. Because if the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it's no longer a blessing. It has now become a curse. And Saul's blessing blinded him to the blesser because he was more concerned with his position than he was with God's presence. He was more concerned with being king than he was worshiping the king of kings. So God had to strip him of that blessing. But there was another young boy who was on the hillside of Jerusalem who all he cared about was the presence of God. All he cared about was being in the presence of his king. He didn't care about titles. He didn't care about position. He just cared about the love and the presence of his God. So much so that even when he was alienated and ostracized by his family he would just be out there watching sheep and playing his harp singing love songs to God until one day he got an assignment to go down to the battlefield and take his brothers a ham and cheese sandwich and as he goes to take them the sandwich he sees a giant who is big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it and he's defying the children of God and he said wait a minute hold up who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dare defy the armies of the living God I love David because that's Christian cussing right there he said Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? No, no, this can't happen. Not on my watch. Yo, yo, somebody tell me, what do you get for knocking him out? What do you get for busting the cap in him? What do you get? They said, oh, David, we'll tell you what you get. You get the king's daughter and you never have to pay taxes. Somebody hold my heart. Hold on. Yo, you, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of Jesus Christ, the God of these armies whom you have defiled. This day I will cut off your head and feed your flesh to the wild beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And this day the world will know there is a God in Israel. That's exactly how David sounded, by the way. He's 13, sounds like Darth Vader. Anyway, <laughs> throws the rock, you know the story. Hits Goliath in the forehead and he comes crashing down. And hear me. The day Goliath came crashing down, David was lifted up. You know, there are some destiny moments that catapult you out of obscurity into notoriety. As soon as David killed that giant, 
Everybody in the land knew his name. He's trending on Twitter. Everybody's talking about him on Facebook. He's doing interviews with Oprah and Barbara Walters. People are enamored with David. He's on the cover of every Wheaties box. They're saying, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Kids are buying David action figures. David has arrived. This is his moment. They're re-watching the giant getting down on YouTube. This is huge. As soon as the giant went down, David became a rock star. Literally. Rocks the rock. Okay. Everybody knew his name. This is David's moment. So much so that, Saul, that Saul's son, Jonathan, who's next in line to be king, takes off his princely garment and gives it to David. He says, I'm not next in line. I see the anointing on your life. You are next in line. Even Saul, who's acting crazy in our text today, he actually invited David to the palace, said, you have to stay here in the palace. This is a great moment for the children of Israel. The wicked witch is dead. The giant has been slain. The buzzard has gone off. It is over sayonara see it is done and the fat lady has sung only problem is Saul didn't like what the fat lady was singing wasn't a fat lady it was just a group of ladies here's what they sang he said Saul has killed his thousands but David his tens of thousands and when Saul heard that he went from running like this He never took his eye off of David from that moment because of this comparison. And Saul is a case study, hear me, for the downward spiral of what comparing yourself to other people will do. Look at what he says. He says, huh, wait a minute. David, he gets tens of thousands, but me, only thousands? Wait a minute. David gets credited with tens of thousands, but me? Only thousands? And in his speech, you hear how comparison always starts. Hear me, comparison always starts with, but me. But me. That is the language of comparison. He says, David, tens of thousands, but me? Only thousands? Comparison always starts with, but me. But me. He cannot separate David's success from his success. He immediately connects David's performance to his performance, but me. Have you ever met but me people? <laughs> they connect every event in life back to them. No matter what it is, it always has to come back to them. But me people. Have you ever seen people that see everything in life through the lens of but me? Okay, some of you need a visual. Um, I know you're not supposed to wear sunglasses inside, but I brought some glasses here today. And I need my cameraman to do a good close-up. These are my but me glasses. Have you ever seen people that see everything in life through the lens of but me? Th these are the worst people to tell success or victory to because they cannot celebrate with you because they will immediately connect the event in your life to their life. Interesting, love, you English majors are acutely aware of this, that but is a conjunction. Conjunction, junction. Come on, somebody, what's your function? Hooking up phrases. And making them sound like that's what some people do. They hook and connect every event in life right back to them. But me, but me. They, these are the worst people to tell your victories to. Because you'll tell them, oh, God is good. I finally got that raise on my job. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And on the phone, they'll be like, oh, that's great. As soon as they get off, huh, Lord, but me. 
I've been tithing and giving an offering just as much as she has. How come I can't get a raise on my job but me? I'm telling you, it could be the most momentous, joyous celebration. They can't celebrate it because they got the but me glasses on. At a wedding, the bride is at the altar. This is her day. She's back there going, mm, yeah, that's good for her, Lord, but shh. But me, when am I going to get a man? You know how many times I fasted and prayed and I'm still watching a notebook by myself? How come I can't get? But me, isn't it funny how easy it is to put on the but me glasses? It's so easy. Saul can't even see. Hello, David's victory is your victory. This is a giant who's been tormenting you for 40 days. Why can't you celebrate that he's dead? you got on the butt me glasses now, now initially initially I, I kind of empathize with Saul because look at what the ladies are doing they are comparing Saul to David they started the comparison one like Saul did it and it seems like in English that they're comparing David's number to Saul's number because what do they say David 10,000 Saul thousands so you think they're comparing them numerically but when you study the text in its original language, they're actually not doing that. This text comes from Hebrew writing. And in Hebrew writing, whenever numbers were mentioned, the second number that was mentioned was always amplified, not because of its numerical value, but more so to intensify the totality of what was being said. Okay, I'm going to give you some blues clues and make it real plain. Um, we do the same today. We do the same today. I would say, uh, don't ask me for money. Ask him for money. He's got hundreds and thousands of dollars. What did I do? I amplified the second number. I wouldn't say he's got hundreds and cents of dollars. He's got hundreds and thousands. I amplified the second number. I'm not even giving you an exact number. I'm just saying he's got a lot of money. That's what the ladies are saying. They're not comparing Saul's number to David's number. Here's what they're really saying. Saul's killed a bunch. David's killed a bunch. We're just glad they're all dead. Why can't Saul see that? He can't see it because he's got on the butt me glasses. It's all about him. Here's some signs you got on the butt me glasses. If you can't celebrate the successes of other people, chances are you got on the butt me glasses. If you are selfish and stingy with your compliments because you think to compliment somebody else is to take something from you, chances are you're wearing the butt me glasses. If there was anybody or anyone in your life that secretly you would be happy if they failed or something went wrong in their life, you're wearing the button me glasses. It's quiet in here today. So easy to put them on, isn't it? Especially in the culture and the age we live in, because how many you know social media has changed the game? Social me, dear. Get it tomorrow. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how content some of us would be if we were just unaware of what other people had? But now we got Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can easily see what other people have. So it's so easy to put on the butt me glasses. Isn't it funny how our awareness drives our discontentment? I mean, come on, you were happy with your vacation to Disney. You're like, ooh, I'm going to Disney. Mickey Mouse, I cannot wait. I'm going to Disney. You were so happy till you got on Facebook, saw your friends going to Paris, France for their vacation. But me, I hate that rap. I don't even want to go to Disney anyway. Isn't it so funny? I mean, come on, you were happy with your Ford Focus. Ooh, you were focused on your Ford Focus. You said, God, I'm just thankful. I don't have to walk anymore. I don't have to take a bus. God bless me with this Ford Focus. Till you looked on Instagram, saw your coworker just got a brand new Ferrari. 
You're like, Lord, you don't even come to church. Why have you forsaken me? So easy. Put on the butt me glasses. And please don't think I'm knocking social media. It's all good. I love it. I'll be on it after service. <laughs> Sometimes I just wonder if the screens on our phones and our computers have now become mirrors by which we constantly look in trying to see if we measure up. Like a scene stolen from Snow White, we silently echo the words of the wicked witch who every day looked in the mirror trying to figure out mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Mirror, mirror on Facebook, tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram, tell me who I really am. And every second we're checking. trying to see do I measure up I'm telling you this is so lethal it can seep into every facet of your life every fa your relationships some of you think you're just pushing your kids to be better you're not it's all the comparison game because you keep getting calls from your co-workers and your family and saying yes our child well he's deciding between Harvard and Princeton he doesn't know which one and your kid can't even read Dr. Seuss and you go <laughs> why can't you do better because you're comparing it's lethal. I'm getting your finances. People have so much, spending so much money on credit cards, spending money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. They're saying anything you can do, charge it. I can do it better. It's so easy. Some of you have put such a weight on your spouse because you've been comparing your marriage to their marriage. Well, girl, if it was my husband, mm, I couldn't deal with that. Of course you didn't. You weren't called to him. I was. Quit comparing yourself people what would the body of Christ look like if we look to the word of God interesting enough James calls the word of God a mirror what if we looked at it and reflected on who God said we were that would be a church that would do exploits for the kingdom of God hear me comparison starts with but me but it ends with two evil twins Comparison starts with but me, but it ends with two evil twins. Those evil twins are pride and envy. Pride and envy are conceived in the womb of comparison. And both of them are lethal. Envy, which Saul is our case study for today, is when you compare yourself to somebody else, and because they have something you don't have, you feel inferior. Therefore, you get bitter. Pride is on the opposite end of the pendulum because then you compare yourself to somebody else and you don't feel inferior, you feel superior because you're in the Ferrari and they're in the Ford Focus. You say, huh, I'm better than they are. And both are lethal because in all of them, your eyes are on you instead of on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. I close with this. I told you I'm preaching to myself today. But I had a moment that happened this summer that kind of crystallized and really was the impetus for this whole message. I got the awesome privilege this summer to preach at Hillsong Conference in Sydney, Australia. When I got the call to come preach, they just asked me to preach to the young people of the conference. It was some 6,000 young people that were gathered there. So I went there and preached to the young people, and in conjunction with the young people's part of the conference, there was the main conference, which is in the All Phones Arena. Some 30,000 people had gathered for the main part of the conference. So I said, I'm just going to preach to the young people, and I'm just going to go sit in in the main auditorium. 
And uh, some of the speakers they had in the main auditorium were people that are really struggling to get their ministry started. Uh, people like T.D. Jakes and uh, Joe Osteen. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to go hear them preach, and I preach to the young people, I'm just going to sit there. Well, my wife and I knew something that the other 30,000 people didn't know, that I had also got the call that for next year, Conference 2014, they'd asked me to speak main stage in front of the 30,000 people. So we're sitting there and just watching. And all of a sudden, they showed the promo for next year's conference. And Pastor Brian Houston, the pastor of Hillsong Church, gets up after the promo, and he says, uh, there's probably one name you're not familiar with that was on that uh, marquee. His name is Robert Madu. He's one of the youngest speakers we'll ever have to preach at Hillsong Conference, and next year, he's going to be preaching. Then he pauses and goes, and you know what? This week on this stage, I think I might just let you get a preview of his preaching. <laughs> now that would have been cool if I wasn't finding out when the other 30,000 people in the arena were finding out. So I meet him, my heart jumps into my stomach. I see him in the green room afterwards. He said, did you hear my announcement? I said, yes, I did. He said, yeah, I was thinking tomorrow that after Bishop Jakes preached, you could get up and preach for about 10 minutes. That'd be all right? So yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> Went to the hotel room that night. True story. Fell on the floor in the fetal position, crying, saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. 30,000 people. I can't do this. My wife, she's trying to comfort me. She's like, babe, you can do it. I was like, no, I can't. Called my dad. You know, he's in the USA. It's like $10 a minute. I didn't care. I was like, dad, I can't do this. You know, my dad's African. He's, son, you can do this. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you would be here. You can do all things to Christ who strengthens you. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. So nervous. <laughs> Getting ready to get on stage. I ask myself, I often ask, I asked myself a question I often ask. I said, who opened this door? God, you did. Who did they ask? Me. I just have to be me. That's all I can do. I was up there and I was me. But as I was studying this message, the Holy Spirit asked me a critical question. He said, do you want to know the real reason why you fell on the ground in the fetal position and started crying when they asked you to do the 10 minutes in front of 30,000? I said, oh, I already know why. Because it was 30,000 people. He said, no, that's not why. The real reason is because while you were sitting in that arena watching all those other names preach, you weren't listening to their message. You were comparing how they run their race to the way you run your race. And that's why you felt the intimidation and that's why you started crying. So let that be the last time you fall on the ground crying and understand that I have called you to be you, so just be you. So I got an announcement that I'm glad to make here at People's Church. Can I tell you, I am the worst T.D. Jakes you have ever seen in your life. I am not a good Joe Olstein. I'm a horrible Joyce Meyer. I'm not a good Billy Graham. I'm not a good Noel Jones. I'm not a good Herbert Cooper. But there's one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I am the best Robert Madu Jr. you have ever seen in your life and I gotta be me and you gotta be you quit comparing yourself to other people and be happy to be the way God created you he has given you a grace to run your race so run it come on somebody ought to give God some praise in this place today if you're ready to never spend another day looking at somebody else's lane but fix your eyes on Jesus
the author and the finisher of your faith. You do that, and run your race with incredible grace. Your eyes are fixed on him. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. God, as the old hymn says, we turn our eyes towards you, Jesus. We look full in your wonderful face. I thank you that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. God, break every chain of comparison in this place today and let us run our race with endurance because our eyes are fixed on you. Amen.